No, I say, I say to the fans that the fans are the fans and the fans have the right to have their opinions and to have their reactions. Football, everything. I'm so happy, believe me. I'm so happy. Lewandowski, you know, Robert Lewandowski. Dream team, dream team. Fire, swoosh. I am flabbergasted and they're here. I wouldn't even let them on the bus after the match. I would get a taxi back to Manchester. <laughs> the only time a tennis ball has ever made me angry. What's viral on Twitter for us tonight is tennis ball. These boys are fucking mentality <laughs> giants. It's unbelievable. This is a great football and country produced players and where we play that rubbish. Yeah. In August 2020, yeah, I'm taking over and that's still decided. I'm angry, I'm angry, Tony, I have to be honest. Stephen Kenny, we've won it. So go on, go back to Scotland and get lost. And I'm certainly going to be a part of that. I'm going to manage that. I'm going to make sure we're even better. And Pajic is there! Robbie Brady Since Frank Lambert became Chelsea manager, Juventus and Arsenal thought it'd be a good idea to do similar and pin their hopes on club legends to take them to the next level. Now with Lampard sacked and his slightly more able successor in Thomas Tuchel taking Chelsea to a Champions League final this week, the rookie manager experiment may be consigned to history already. Hello and welcome to this week's Three the Back podcast, joined as usual by Enda and Phil. How are you lads? How are we doing? Evening lads. So with the microscope firmly on some very high profile rookie managers, we'll take a closer look at the rise of newbie coaches at big clubs and his fad that may go away sooner rather than later, given how things have fared so far. We'll be joined by Chris Winterburn from Merca to talk about that a little bit later on. Um, but first, lads, um, we've kind of put the Premier League to one side over the past few weeks um, with the title looking f- pretty much wrapped up and relegation looking pretty wrapped as well. But um, there's plenty t- still to go in the top four race as well, um, thanks in most now to... Uh, uh, the now annual top four joke from Brennan Rodgers um, and David Moyes' West Ham kind of struggling to get over the line as well, leaving the door slightly ajar um, for Liverpool and even Spurs and Everton as well um, as as outside bets, I suppose, in terms of the top four race. Um, Phil, they have a pretty handy run in, I suppose, United aside, but have Liverpool left it a little bit too late to cover that six-point gap, even even with the game in hand? I was very down on it uh, the last time we spoke, and uh, I must have been really bad because Endo was chiding me over over my kind of pessimism about it. But um, I am a little bit more optimistic now. But it is a real slow bicycle race this year. I mean, like by all rights, uh, the form Liverpool have had since the turn of the year should have them not within an, a- an ass's roar of top four. But um, it's still just about on. I mean, all going to the way you'd expect it to go, they might come up just a bit short. But um, like the the way, like you said, Leicester and West Ham are wobbling, you can't take anything for granted. Um, like you said, the, the running looks relatively favourable. Um, Manchester United on Thursday aside, uh, though United still have to play another game between then and now, and they only played what feels like a couple of hours ago. So, um, like it, it, if they're going to do it, it's kind of coming in their favour. But like you said, they might just be a bit late, um, because in like I don't know if this is the side who looks capable of winning five games in a row. Um, at the minute, which is what they will have had to do to qualify, and you just can't say that with any great certainty about this team and this calendar year that they could win five in a row. Um, but it's I'm definitely getting more hopeful as the weeks go on, mainly because of the failings of other sides, um, than Anton Liverpool have shown in particular. Uh, but if you ask me now who's going to finish fourth, I actually couldn't really pick it with any great conviction. I'd probably be wishy-washy enough. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see who's going to grudgingly 
crossed the line first in this very slow bicycle race this year. Yeah, I think there's probably just a little bit much for Liverpool to do. I actually thought West Ham um, would kind of become the favourites, uh, considering the fixtures they've had since we, we were last discussed it. But uh, the result at Everton was a real blow for them. So, um, and obviously Leicester being absolutely terrible against Newcastle um, remind me of their Bournemouth game at the end of last season when Bournemouth were pretty much down and Leicester were 1-0 up and then just capitulated. So the fact that it's happened two seasons in a row and with less injuries this season significantly, I think, um, puts a lot of pressure on Rodgers and Leicester. And if you look at the two fixtures they have left in the league, uh, after the United match, obviously, they have the FA Cup final, but then they have Chelsea again a few days later, which could work in their favours. I'm sure Chelsea will be resting players for the Champions League final at that stage. And then Spurs, who will probably need to win to get into the Europa League next season. So I think that Liverpool have just about run out of time. But if there was an extra game or two, they'd probably pip Leicester. But I just think that with United playing a pretty weakened team tomorrow and probably having a stronger team against Liverpool, I think those two matches could go in Leicester's favour. And I think West Ham have also just about missed their chance as well because of that result at the weekend. I was just about to say, like, the top four race pretty much goes through Manchester at the moment um, with the Leicester game tomorrow and then the uh, the rescheduled fixture against Liverpool on Thursday um, so it, it's it's not cynical of me to to imagine a very very reserve side tomorrow night um, and then a, an abnormally strong side against Liverpool on Thursday end is it? Well, I mean, if we want to talk about conspiracy theories, <laughs> Stephen G- Stephen Gerrard not seeing Didier Drogba there in front of the goal in 2010 is still eats away at my soul. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we had this situation a couple of years ago as well, didn't we, in Ollie's first season when um, City needed to win at Old Trafford. Um, and there was thoughts then that United might throw the game, but we were in such bad form anyways, I don't think you would have noticed the difference at the time. Um, but I think... You know, if you look at the team they potentially could be lining up with tomorrow, I mean, Donny van der Beek and Matic haven't played much lately. By Tuanzebi haven't played much, although they were getting runs in the team earlier in the season. Tellez, obviously. Um, Brandon Williams would probably be my biggest worry, considering, you know, the form he's had in the past kind of 12 to 18 months. But picking one of these sides when you have seven or eight players who've not played much lately uh, can work either way and, and Leicester's confidence at the moment can't be too good uh, after the draw against Southampton and obviously the, the loss to Newcastle but I think Leicester will probably just have a bit too much experience tomorrow night but uh, for sure yeah I think the, Uni- the United-Liverpool match will be um, Ollie's focus for sure I was just as I was saying there at the start um, you know Leicester's kind of capitulation towards the end last year I mean to do that two years in a row and looking at their run of fixtures, I mean, like we said, we've united tomorrow night, Chelsea and Spurs then after the um, the FA Cup final also against Chelsea. I mean, it couldn't be a tougher run-in, um, even with Spurs' a slumping form as well as um, under Ryan Mason. Um, I know, like, a little bit later on, we're going to get on to kind of rookie managers and, you know, being on the hot seat and the kind of the short time being afforded to um to a lot of guys out there when they don't deliver. But Rodgers left Liverpool, his reputation maybe a little bit damaged. But, I mean, he's, he, he was still a top manager. He still did quite well at Liverpool um, overall. Went to Celtic, did really well. Went to Leicester, has done really well. But... I mean, 
to lose top four two years in a row from that sort of position, where, I mean, how do you kind of recover from that if you are Brendan Rodgers? I mean, it's going to be a huge hole on his CV um, going into next year if they do it again this year. The first thing he absolutely needs to stop doing is doing fucking interviews and profile pieces. I don't know if you saw Jonathan Norcroft did a, another <laughs> gushing piece about him, which started off with a Father Ted-esque story about Brendan Rodgers asking the cleaners to move uh, paper boxes, cardboard boxes from a corridor in the training <laughs> ground to make sure that Leicester could perform as efficiently as possible. So, and like I remember, um, he had one of those articles, I think it was Sunday Times again, actually, uh, uh, detailing his long night of the soul over tea and, and toast, mm. trying to figure out how to play three at the back for Liverpool and promptly got beaten at Old Trafford. Um, like, I, I think Rodgers probably should have left with a slightly higher reputation from Liverpool than he did. Um, I think how bad things ended there and the fact that he stayed on after the Stoke win probably soured things a little bit. Um, he He's done a good job at Leicester, but the problem is the perception of how he's finishing fifth or sixth is that he's doing it from a position of being in a much better position and falling backwards to do it once maybe it's careless to do it twice and the thing is because they held their form together and initially at the turn of the year better than they did last year all the think pieces were out it was like you Mm -hmm. know they threw it away last year but you know what brendan rogers made sure they weren't going to do it this year and if it happens again like there's only so many times you can do something like that before it really does start to weigh in. Um, like I, I think he's a great manager. He's at a club that is not afraid to spend, that has a really good squad put together, and that probably should be, I'm not saying it should be top four, but like finishing in the top six is definitely in, in his remit and what he should be aiming to do. Uh, I think it's just that problem where he's doing really well in first half of the season and then kind of tailing away. And you could probably get away with it once. I don't think he's going to be under pressure for his job or anything like it. But it just it builds another kind of psychological barrier that this team is going to have to get over if they're going to reach the next level, if it happens again. Uh, I mean, I, I, I assume it's playing on some of their minds yeah. at the minute that they're kind of lining up like they were last year. Another tough end last year. I know it was United on the last day of the season, kind of in a direct playoff almost for that last space. It's not going to be quite as direct this time, but it's still a really tough run in. Uh, has to be weighing on their minds. And if it happens again, I mean, it's a tough thing to bear. Mm. But like, the squad that they have at the moment, like it's very easy to argue that it's better than the squad that won the league under Ranieri. And if they go two years in a row now, um, missing this opportunity to go to the Champions League, like it is a very kind of young profile squad. And if you're, you know, the likes of Yuri Tielemans, Wesley Fofana, I mean, Wilfred and Didi as well, like young guys, you know, who want to be playing Champions League football. If they do it again this year, you'd imagine, you know, these guys are going to be kind of getting a little bit of an itchy neck and wondering, you know, should I be, should I be looking to move to Europe? Should I be looking to move to take that step up? Because obviously there's kind of something still slightly missing, even though we have invested a lot in the squad and we do have a really talented young squad. Um, this is still a stepping stone rather than... Um, a club that can kind of deliver on on those kind of personal achievements that you want to get into European football and uh, having to miss out in the two years in a row is is putting a huge dent on that. Yeah, and just to back up, <clears throat> excuse me, what Phil said there. I mean, if we actually look at Leicester just in isolation, um, they've got some of the best training facilities in the country. I think, in my opinion, they have the best recruitment network in the country. 
uh, great structure in place. So this, you know, PR that Brendan gets, again, that Phil has covered, you know, that top four would be some sort of miracle. Um, seems quite bizarre, really, uh, when they've gotten into pretty much uh, unstoppable positions two seasons in a row now and have made a complete balls of it both times. And it's it's not even, you know, the fact that they've dropped points. It, it's the manner in which they've done it. it. The amount of goals they've started conceding out of nowhere, similar to last year. Um, I felt a bit sorry for them last year because they had a lot of injuries that they haven't had this year. So it's, in my opinion, it's even worse. And that the fact that they've not been able mm-hmm. to use the experience they went through last year and if you're looking at recruiting somebody like Sumeria from France who they were linked with today for 25 million who would be an unbelievable signing to go beside Tielemans and Ndidi in that midfield you'd probably need Champions League football to get that over the line so it'll be interesting to see um, just how that affects their summer going forward because the type of players that they have been signing in, in the past two or three seasons are Champions League footballers really I mean Ian Acho obviously a title winner Yuri Telemans is one of the best young players I've seen at Old Trafford when he went mm. there with Andelect. Um, So it's tough to hang on to those type of players. We've already seen them lose, obviously, Maguire and Chilwell and a few others. So I think they have a really tough summer ahead if they if they mess this up. But I think they'll just about sneak over the line. Any hopes then for West Ham lads? Um, I mean, they have a reasonably decent run in with Brighton, West Brom and Southampton. Um I saw a little bit of the game against Everton yesterday. I mean, it was very, very one-sided. I, like, I have no idea how they didn't come away with a, at least a draw. A um, little bit of a smash and grab. Missed a couple of big chances. Um, I mean, all their big channels, chances seem to be falling to um, to Kufal, the fullback. Um, and he was kind of blazing them over. So they are missing a little bit of uh, uh, someone, you know, to take their chances up front. I'm a huge fan of, of Mikel Antonio, in fairness. I think he's a great player to watch and you know his effort is fantastic but um definitely isn't that 15 20 goal a season guy that you probably need to to be pushing for the top four but i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't bet against them i mean it's it, it is a pretty decent run in and i think if leicester do kind of have another hiccup or two i think they'll just be there alongside liverpool yeah i, I like i'm like i said i'm a, I'm a bit wishy-washy on ruling anyone out but um I don't know. It, it just kind of has the sense over the last five games that their momentum is starting to stall a little bit, kind of at the wrong time. Um, like it seemed for a while there, probably in the five games previous to that, that they couldn't do anything wrong. That they were, you know, ripping sides apart, taking two, three nil leads out of nowhere, looking really comfortable, really good. It feels like they're just kind of stuttering a little bit at the wrong time. Um, but that said, I mean, like if if you fancy. Liverpool, you kind of have to give West Ham a, a, as much of a chance because they're a point better off. Like they're Liverpool have a game in hand, but West Ham have the points on the board, a point better off. Uh, like you said, if there is a slip up from Leicester or a slip up or two, um, th- they could capitalize on it. It's not a terrible run in, like you said, but I, I just kind of have this feeling that they, with it's kind of like white line fever, they're they're kind of stuttering a little bit just at the wrong time. Uh, I could be wrong, and and, and the Moisaia might be able to pull something out, but um. It might just be a, a glorious failure, um, and like you talk about, like this kind of <clears throat> perception, like Enda said rightly about this miracle run for Leicester, and it, that's not actually the case. I mean, West Ham have a really good squad, but if they were to make the Champions League, it would be a really, really big deal. And even like Europa League for them would would be massive. Would, would be hmm. would be a great result. So I think for them, with 
with three games to go, if they can just lay it all out and the cards fall where they do and they've had a great season regardless. And I know they're within touch and distance, so it's only natural to be a bit disappointed if they don't make it. But uh, fifth is fifth is an incredible result for them. So I, they kind of have the least to lose. I mean, obviously Leicester had it, yeah. both hands on it, not just one hand, they had both hands on it. Uh, and obviously Liverpool and Spurs are pushing to be in a place where they expect to be. But West Ham have nothing to lose here. It's bonus territory. So maybe that makes them dangerous. Yeah, it was kind of the Moyes chaos kind of summed up really yesterday at home against one of his former clubs, 70% possession, 11 shots on goal and none on target. Just kind of sums up <laughs> what will happen under David Moyes. They just can't seem to to get over the line. Um, so I, I just don't fancy them enough to really get it done in those last few games. And I'm not sure if Declan Rice has recovered from his injury or not, which obviously uh, leaves them a lit, little more exposed when you're having to play Lanzini deeper beside Suchek. I think West Ham are, are a much easier team to play against when that happens. Um, and I don't think it suits Lanzini at all. Um, but overall, I've been very impressed with West Ham this season. Um, I was a bit surprised when, you know, players like Ben Rama in particular joined there and, I thought I was kind of proven right at the start of the season when he wasn't getting much games, but he's he's been slowly bedded into the squad and looks really strong now. Fornals has improved. They'll probably sign Jesse Lingard as well. So, you know, especially after losing Seb Haller to uh, Ajax halfway through the season, I just didn't know where the goals were going to come from. So this Antonio run of form that he always seems to be able to put together in the second half of seasons um, has really got them into a strong position. But I just wouldn't trust them enough to win those last couple of games and have things go in their favour. It will be interesting um, as well, regardless of how this goes, if that um, kind of Olympic Stadium theory holds up next year when, when fans start to flow back through. Um, I suppose the, the, the general idea is that West Ham have had the biggest kind of empty stadium kick because they, their their stadium is such a kind of a, an atmosphere vacuum, I suppose. Um, and I suppose... The, the, the abuse, I suppose, that's hurled at the, the squad as well when, when things are going tough. So um, one to keep an eye on next year, I suppose, if uh, if that David Moyes uh, jump um, kind of takes a couple of steps backwards. Um, lads, a couple, couple of quick words um, down to League Two for a second and, and Cambridge United. And we posted a picture on the Twitter account the other day of um, Wes Hoolahan chugging um, a nice point of playing there. Um Nice and close to his roots. I mean, what a story this was um, coming back to League Two after a couple of years in in Australia. I mean, he obviously had a fantastic career at Norwich, went on to West Brom and didn't go quite so well. Um, it did. It seemed like he was finished more or less. And I think he he had a couple of injuries in Australia, which um, which curtailed his his progress there. But back to League Two and what a season he had. I mean, at 38 years of age, um, seven goals, eight assists. Um, I think he played 34 games in the end even though he, he was kind of a, doing a, a, a lately king on it where he wasn't playing uh, two games in quick succession so I think he was taking a little bit of a breather there around the uh, the Christmas period for some games but I mean hell of a hell of an achievement for him and um, the cult of, of Wiz uh, lives on for another day Look, It was an incredible uh, reception that came the Cambridge uh, football and family gave him in terms of like he, he nearly signed for them um, when he went to Australia the first time and they were by all accounts properly gutted to miss out on him like he <laughs> the reverence in which he's spoken about before he'd even played for them was akin to something you'd see about like Maradona or Messi like it was genuinely I, there was a great piece about him on the Athletic um, uh, earlier this year 
Uh, it was meant to be about how he's a cult hero for Norwich, but it was actually just full of people from Cambridge saying how gutted they were he didn't sign it the first time and like uh, being effusive in their praise of him um, uh, uh, this time around. Uh, like like you said, it's an incredible achievement for somebody not only of his age, but like you said, of somebody who, who had those kind of serious injuries and who looked like maybe it was going to peter out a little bit um, to get nominated for player of the year, to make it into team of the year, and like mo- what I'm most jealous of all, and you mentioned already, is how good that pint looked. Uh, he was drinking; I was absolutely steaming. I mean, it's not <laughs> off. It's not often I'm going to be jealous of English Guinness, but mother of God, the Wes can even make that look good. That that that's the talent of the man. Um, is it too too late to bring Wes back as kind of you know senior figure in the Irish team? I, I'm not entirely sure. Bring him back, have him playing alongside all the twenty year olds. He'll bring the average age up a little bit. Dunphy will pipe up again anyways, that's for sure. Um, But yeah, I remember when he moved to Newcastle Jets and um, the way the season works in Australia is they have kind of the early rounds of a cup competition first before the league season starts, which is weird because everyone's in basically pre-season mode. But he was excellent in those first couple of games uh, in the FFA Cup. And I thought that this was going to be an amazing signing and an amazing addition to the A-League. And then he got injured and only played five league games last season. It was pretty much around the time when um, fans in Australia were being kicked out of the stadiums because of COVID. So he's basically played five games in an empty stadium and couldn't pass the ball 10 yards. It was just, I thought that was the end of his career, to be honest. Uh, I'd never seen somebody look that out of form. So I was quite surprised that Cambridge, no matter how highly he's rated within the city, um, decided to take that gamble on him but it just goes to show um how brilliant he is that he can turn it around after the injury after the poor form um and must have been pretty gutted to have such a bad experience in australia because he did arrive there with a lot of hype as well any any player who's played in the premier league um really gets a lot of good pr in australia so newcastle were very excited to have him and very excited at how well he started there um so it was great to see him play so well for Cambridge this season. And, and as I said, it's fully deserved. Probably a bit too late on Ireland's calls, but uh, <laughs> we're in such a such a bad way at the moment that, you know, it would cheer us up for sure. Mm. Couple of, uh, 10 minutes here and there at the end of a game. Pull the strings. I mean, I don't want to go all Dunphy on it, but 43 caps does seem a little bit light for a, for what turned out to be a player of his calibre. Um, I mean, definitely the probably the, the purest player that we, we've had in the national team over that uh, kind of period where the, the football itself wasn't doing a whole pile. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you look at the kind of number of caps amassed by players, um, absolutely, like, diligent and hardworking, but, like, with, with, with only a quarter of his talent. Um, and, like, you look at that reverence that every, everywhere he goes and all the teams he plays for, they love him um, with good reason. Um, I suppose I, I suppose at this stage, and given that you know his time has gone, we're just going to have to cling to those memories of the goal against Sweden and the 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 day against Italy all the tighter. But yeah, you're right. I mean, forty three caps in this day and age, you'd be no time amassing it. And um, like Wes, when he has forty three more Ireland caps than I do, that doesn't sound right. A quick glance around Europe, lads, and I mean we've been keeping an eye on. Affairs over in France the past couple of weeks, uh, kind of. I think at this point everybody is behind Lille and their hunt for uh, the title, and it took a huge step in the right direction at the weekend to beat Lens three 0 on Friday evening, and then um, yesterday evening PSG only drawing one all with Rennes. Um, 
kind of conceded a, a second half equaliser and then President Kimbembe got sent off later on as well. I mean, is I think it's three points now separating Lille and PSG in the title or in the in the table, two games left. So um a winner four points should do it for Lille. And uh, I mean it'd be a hell of an achievement considering the Gulf, um no pun intended, it's the Gulf in in uh, in financial power there between the two clubs. Yeah, and uh, Kim Pembe, I think, is in a bit more bother after a few stuff he said in the tunnel. So they're <laughs> looking at potentially extending his ban. So very chaotic for PSG. Um, obviously, Mbappe, a, a huge miss. And I think it highlights the point that, you know, PSG can survive without Neymar if they have Mbappe, but they can't seem to survive on Neymar without Mbappe. And I think that speaks volumes of, you know, he's had a, a very strong contribution in Paris, but, you know, Mbappe is the real prince in that side for sure but you know it was a fantastic weekend for Lille and if you look at their last two games they're both very winnable they only need four points so I imagine they'll be very surprised if they didn't beat uh, Saint-Étienne um, even though they won their last two um, and then probably just get the draw against Angers at the last game of the season um, and it's going to be an absolutely phenomenal achievement I mean I know they have a lot of good young players but I, I, me- I mentioned um, you know the centre of that team is you know combined over 100 years of age i mean jose font what a bizarre story that would be after conceding i think it was 10 goals in his first two games in china a couple of years ago under rafa benitez uh dalian team and somehow he's still knocking around for portugal and now for Lille as well um and again barack ilmaz almost also went to china had a pretty good experience there but again looked at the end of his career came back to turkey last year and and now in Lille um and having one one of the best seasons of his career um, so it's it's just been a phenomenal season for them uh, and it'll be a hell of an achievement. I mean, the scenes before the game uh, from the fans, the reception they got outside the stadium, uh, it's going to be phenomenal if they can pull it off. Elsewhere, Bundesliga is all wrapped up at this point. Bayern winning the league um, at the weekend in pretty uh, dominating fashion, beating Gladbach 6-0 um, while Dortmund beat Leipzig 3-2 there. Um, Jadon Sancho scoring twice so the Bundesliga title back to Munich for another year um, I suppose the league that is still kind of um, up for grabs over in Spain um, we've been kind of joking on Atletico the past couple of weeks but I didn't get to see their their game against Barcelona um, looked fairly drab by all counts uh, nil all there um, but Real Madrid failing to beat Sevilla means it's still um is still in Atletico's hands just about with three games to go. I did not enjoy that Barcelona Atletico game. Not a, not a little bit. It was um it was I know and you were saying on Twitter <laughs> something to the effect that you you won't be able to justify the amount of time you've wasted in your life watching Simeone's Atletico uh draw nil all. And I, I think you could have called this one a fair way out. Um there wasn't a great degree of uh inspiration on show uh, Messi aside he had one really nice run and shot that um Oblak made an incredible save from but other than that it, it was uh, pretty low on incidents I was mostly distracted by how annoying the shadow of the Camp Nou was uh quarter past three fixture airtime or half three whatever it was so nice sunny day in Spain but the shadow of the stand of the Camp Nou left half the pitch um in darkness so that that, that was that tells you how exciting the match was I was getting pissed <laughs> off at the shadow of the stand as opposed to what was actually going on um, but th- this is another kind of slow bicycle race now um, in, in La Liga. 
to go with top four in the Premier League. All the teams are kind of stuttering a little bit. Like it's it, again, it's it's hard to tell between the between the three now, and it does look like it's down to three uh, with Sevilla's last two results. It like you know you'd imagine that if Atletico need to grind something out, they could probably grind it out. But um, yeah, it, it, it's a pity. What what was shaping up to be a really really exciting weekend, and um, probably didn't get to be quite the fever pitch it maybe deserved. Yeah, and for once, well, as always, I tried to convince myself that this wouldn't be a, a Cholo nil-nil um, <laughs> just to kind of justify, you know, watching Spanish football a quarter past three on a Saturday afternoon, which always feels a bit weird anyways, you know, considering, you know, you grew up on Sky watching, you know, Spanish football on a Sunday night, and that was kind of what you were used to. Um, but overall, obviously a, a better result for Atletico, especially with Madrid dropping points. Um and if you look at the fixtures left, Barca's are probably three easier ones. But again, the way Barca played against uh, Granada last week, you wouldn't call anything a done deal with them at the moment. But uh, Sociedad going to uh, Madrid at the weekend, sorry, in two days' time, actually, midweek, um, is going to be a very big one for Atletico if they want to win the league uh, and one that they'll have to win. First, I thought you'd treat your bollocks with this, guys. Excuse me, this is live. <laughs> We're joined by Chris Winterburn from Spain's Marca to talk about the rise of rookie managers at high-profile jobs in recent years. Thanks for coming on, Chris. Hope you're well. Uh, no worries, guys. Hope you're all doing well as well. All good here now, thanks. Um, so I suppose since Frank Lampard was thrust into the Chelsea job just over a year and a half ago, he was quickly followed at major European elite clubs by other club legends like Andrea Perlo at Juventus, Mikel Arteta at Arsenal, both of whom are already firmly on the hot seat now after Lampard was sacked earlier this season. Lower down the pecking order, you have Wayne Rooney, um, who was given the derby job just as he finished his playing career and just about kept him up at the weekend. Another example in Europe is Vincent Company, who are st- uh, struggling with Anderlecht. Um, and I suppose one of the few examples that you can kind of point to as a success story is obviously Stephen Gerrard at Rangers and Ruben Amarim at Sporting Lisbon, who only had a short spell at Braga before they made him manager for a for a fairly hefty fee, I suppose, for a, a relatively inexperienced manager. Um, I guess to begin, lads, and Chris, I'll start with you. What do you think is the motivation to hire these this profile of manager? Um, I mean, are clubs just looking for the next pep? Um, are they wanting to seem more kind of young and modern or is it just kind of a, a relatively easy box to take and get a club legend in, in the door and see if he sinks or swims? Well, I think there's several uh, points you can make to that. I think, first of all, and this is important at most, at some clubs more than others, it's cheaper. Obviously, they're looking to find the next pep and recreate that success. And thirdly, we're at a time when winning things is incredibly difficult. If everything plays out as it should, and we're talking about the very top level here, Manchester City and PSG should probably win the lion's share of the trophies. That's just the reality. So it's sort of a free hit in a way because you can try and find this next pep, this next young manager, and there's no real expectation of success because the two behemoth clubs with the massive resources are expected to win the major trophies anyway. And then finally, I think what you've got to say is it's sort of 
it's a good move. You bring in someone the fans like, and often owners and chief executives aren't popular. You bring in someone the fans like, that buys you a, a bit of time. Yeah, I suppose I agree, I agree with a lot of what uh, what Chris was saying there. It, like, I think, like a lot of things in football, there's probably an element of seeing that something works and trying to ape it. Um, and, and seeing that there was actually a good degree of success. I mean, Pep, most readily, but even Zidane, um, who was taken from, again, like the Castillo team and turned around multiple Champions League winning sides. Um, I suppose there's there's an element there of wanting to be seen to do that, to follow the latest kind of progressive trends. You're also probably talking about a time in football when more, si- more and more sides are playing the same style of football, which is more progressive, playing out from the back, all that sort of stuff. And rightly or wrongly, there's probably a perception that the younger the player or the younger the coach, the more likely it is that that sort of style will be implemented. So, you know, it's, it's less a reliance on the Allardyces and, and the Roy Hodgins and more on these guys who are fresh out of their playing careers and who are used to playing this sort of way themselves, maybe. Um, so I, th- I think there's probably a, a couple of facets to it, but they're probably the two that jump out to me. Um, the kind of the idea of ape and success, which has happened throughout football history. You kind of see what's successful and you try and follow it. And then maybe kind of a, a desire to implement the right in inverted commas style of play and maybe it's easier to do with younger managers who are more open to that sort of thing yeah and i think perception is important here i mean being pep's assistant while no doubt is good experience i don't think it should entitle you to a a a job straight away uh, at a club i mean you look at um the way solskjaer was spoken about even though he had a decade under his belt at Molde, um, the United Youth Teams Academy, uh, and at Cardiff. And you compare that to being Pep's assistant, which I imagine is one of the easier jobs in the game uh, overall. Uh, and just the PR and, and reputation he kind of gained out of nowhere as soon as he took the Arsenal job, even up to a couple of weeks ago, we had Graham Hunter, for example, on a recent podcast saying, it'd be the biggest mistake Arsenal will ever make if they let him go because he's exceptional. I don't exactly know what that is is based on considering their their league position and their cup form this season. Um, and then I think Phil's point is very valid as well. The the perception that the younger you are, the more modern you are. Um, you know, And we've not see, just seen that with, with the managers that you've named, obviously Nagelsmann as well, Jesse Marsh, these type of guys. Um, now it's worked for Amarim as well. It worked for... Jardin when he was young and, and successful so there is a history that people are trying to play off there in terms of going that youth route um, and the obsession with playing modern football and I think a younger manager just gives that a better look and feel to the fans and then obviously in the case of United in particular it was just a much cheaper option to bring in Pochettino and his team who who would have commanded high salaries right from the off mm. whereas you know, United had a situation which uh, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, similar to when Mike Ditka went to the Chicago Bears in the 80s, a former player who was probably the worst paid manager in the NFL, although he did win it two years later, but uh, we're not quite there yet for Solskjaer. But uh, I, I think it's it's worked out okay for United, considering Ed took a risk in, in kind of sticking with him and, and you know put a lot of faith in him with, with making him permanent. But uh, I think that was a little bit of a different situation than some of the others who are just trying to find their next pep. Well, to continue the um, the NFL reference, and uh, 
the Arteta's hiring kind of reminded me of um, of the NFL, where it seems like if if you have any sort of association with guys like um, Kyle Shanahan, who's the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, or Sean McVay of the LA Rams, then uh, you're shoehorned into a to a role that you might necessarily be ready for. Um, in terms of like being ready for these type of jobs, I mean Arteta definitely gave the illusion that he was ready purely by his association with Pep. Um, you know, Pep spoke glowingly of him um, during their their stint together, and I think it was probably a case of when rather than if he'd eventually get a, a big job himself. But it was his first job, um, and he is struggling. And you'd have to wonder, like, the pressure on managers to take these sort of jobs before they're even ready. I mean, like, I'd imagine if you deep down asked Andrea Perlo, was he ready to take on the Juventus job um, as as cool and as confident as uh, as he might um, portray himself to be? I'd think he'd even himself um, kind of admit that he definitely wasn't ready for this type of job. And the results are kind of speaking for themselves now at this point. Yeah, I think Chris might have more insider info than me in the game. But I mean, if he didn't look and sound as intelligent as he does, uh, I think he would have been in a lot more trouble. And, and again, it goes back to perception. Emre didn't sound as clever as people thought he was because obviously English wasn't his first language and it yeah. became a, a mockery of his kind of year and a half or two years at Arsenal. Whereas Arteta says all the right things, he... Let's face it, he looks spectacular. He's a guy who, if he was your manager, you would absolutely want him to succeed at your club. Uh, and, of course, he was a very stylish player as well. And then you, you throw in the kind of sitting beside Pep for as long as he did and the praise that Pep you know, gave him. I mean, it, it, it depends on what experience you've actually had there. I mean, Fergie let his assistants basically train the team Monday to Friday and he just picked the team Saturday and Sunday. And yet we weren't saying that Steve McLaren and Brian Kidd are ready to take over top jobs they they try to with minimal success so again it, it, it is a modern thing where just because you're uh, an assistant manager to a very successful coach um and we saw it slightly with Rui Faria as well although he was actually he did an okay job uh, in Qatar when he went over there before uh, being let go um but overall uh, you don't seem to have to go through a, a stringent interview process to get a, a job which I, I think is probably the issue well, the thing about Pirlo at Juventus, just to piggyback on a point Kevin made, he wasn't actually appointed to be the head coach initially. He was initially appointed as the under-23 manager. And then whether or not, I, I mean, as far as I know, I think Juventus hoped and expected Pep Guardiola to be available uh, this summer, 2021. So they were sort of forced into making a move that they thought would only be for a year anyway. But now that's off the table. It looks to have been a major gamble giving Pirlo that responsibility. And I don't quite know where they go from here, especially with a lot of the up-and-coming managers and managers who you'd consider hireable now off the table at other jobs. I think with, with um, especially in the case of somebody like Arteta, who's coming off the back of his experience with Pep, as a former player and somebody who's extremely driven to reach the levels that he did, there's a great degree of ego there and like a certainty of purpose that he thinks he's going to be absolutely good enough to do this job um, or to do the Arsenal job, I mean. And like that comes as necessarily part of his makeup to have been the player that he was. But like Ender was saying, it's a different job being a number two, being part of a team 
than being a head coach or a manager who essentially is as much of a politician as they are a football figure. I mean, you know, you're out talking to the media, you're managing messaging to the opposition, to your own players, you're managing above, you're managing down. It's all things that Arteta may have thought he had a good insight from with, with Guardiola, but something he didn't actually have to face at the cold face. Um, and, and you throw everything else in, I mean, in pandemic year, which is completely mad, can't have helped a lot of these rookie managers who haven't been able to, well, I mean, if things had been going the way they were at Arsenal, he might not have had a great reception at the Emirates, but he, he like he's not getting any kind of bailout in terms of fans rallying teams or anything like that. Um, so there, there's like layers to this that I'm sure that these people considered, but like it's it, they've spent careers. And you, like I thought about when Lampard got the Chelsea job, I said, like, why would somebody say yes to that when he doesn't look like he's ready to go? But like you spend your entire life taking on these challenges, and there's a mindset as an elite sports person that I'll never be able to get into. Mm. But maybe that removes a little bit of the rationality um, in their brain, and it's kind of I can't be seen to turn down a challenge because I've built my career on not turning them down, and that actually ends up in bad situations, like for Lampard, or increasingly likely for Pirlo. You've kind of gotten the job at the end of the rainbow. It's kind of like. Um, Ronan O'Gara at the minute in rugby, people are calling for him to come back to Munster or to get or to be involved maybe as an Ireland coach. But that job is the end of the rainbow. And if it doesn't go well, if you take it too early, like Pirlo has, or like Lampard did, where do you go from there? You've gotten the job that you should have been building to. You got it at the start. You weren't ready for it. Like, where do you go from there? Phil, I mean, this is a point we've kind of touched on at various points throughout the season. But, I mean, if Jurgen Klopp left in the morning, and I know it's Gerard has more kind of experience than most, um, given his couple of seasons at Rangers, which have gone quite well. But, I mean, if if the job was available tomorrow morning, and whether you could argue, is he is Gerard ready or not, you'd imagine he'd take that job without a split second of, of, of thought. I mean, experience tells you that he would. Like I don't know how much you can read into it. Like there's been like several bits and pieces of news lines saying that Gerard's determined to wait and take things at the right time. Um, if that's not what he's feeling, I hope he's had a look around at what's happened at his peers and his, his great kind of sparring partner Frank Lampard and realised what can go wrong. I mean, if he didn't have that opinion already, I hope the last eighteen months has taught him the folly of of coming in too soon. He'd definitely be the favourite in the morning. He'd be like, you wouldn't be able to back him. He'd be an unbackable price. And the clamour would be there. And Sky Sports News would be outside Anfield and they'd find somebody in Liverpool jersey to say, I want Gerrard to come back. Um, whether he wants it, I'm not sure. Whether the club hierarchy will pull back, I don't know. It, it, like Nostalgia is a powerful pull and his stock is at a height now that who knows where it's going to go. Uh, like he, he, He's won his first league title. He's won, he stopped a 10 in a row. He's at a certain level now in terms of kind of the hype and momentum behind him that would certainly make him more appealing than he would have been before he won it. But it's that kind of absence of rationality again. You'd hope that on all sides, people would take a breath and just assess if now was exactly the right time to follow the most successful manager in the Premier League era for Liverpool and somebody that maybe Gerard might want to be the man after the man. Um like I've no doubt that he'd be the favourite. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit and saying he might keep a cool head. He wasn't exactly known for it on the pitch. <laughs> like that's that's not one of that's not you're talking about Gerard's great strengths and like, you know, kind of <laughs> discretion being the better part of valor is definitely not in there for, for um for Gerard. 
but um, maybe it's just wishful thinking to think that he might take a beat and learn from uh, learn from the guys we're talking about tonight. But then you look at that, and this is perhaps with particular uh, in focus on Gerard himself. These jobs don't necessarily come along too often, and and yeah. I can see the frustration some fans will have when, obviously, like Pirlo, someone gets put into a job with absolutely no experience. But I'd argue that Gerard probably would be ready. I mean, you can never be fully ready because unless you've managed, you go from Manchester United to Liverpool because that's where the demands are similar. So you can never be fully ready for managing a club of that scale until you do it. So obviously everyone's going to be under that sort of pressure. But with Gerard, I think he's gone to Scotland and done a good job. Obviously the standard's a lot lower and he has a lot less teams to have to overcome. But I would sort of argue that Gerard's probably done enough to be ready. I think given how unlikely it is that these jobs come around quickly again, I think sort of against what you guys have said, I'd say he'd be mad not to take it, even if he looks at the struggles Lampard has had. I mean, you've got to remember there was times when Lampard was doing okay at Chelsea as well. I mean, he had a good start, finished in the top four in his first season whilst not being able to sign players. And then obviously after it sort of all sort of fell in on him like a house of cards. But there was times where he wasn't doing a bad job. So I think it might be maybe a bit harsh to say that these guys should maybe look at what's happened to other people before making the decisions. I think there's some of them that they should take the gamble on themselves. Yeah, and FSG need a, a bit of positive PR amongst the fans after a pretty disastrous 12 months. So it would be interesting if they saw that as a, a potential avenue once Klopp does go. So that could play a factor as well in offering Gerard the job. Mm. But that you'd imagine Gerard would be a lot less democratic with uh, with FFG if they were pulling those sort of stunts then, then Klopp tends to be um, he wasn't hugely defensive of them but he did kind of play it off a little bit uh, in those interviews around the, the Super League um, that takes me on to the next point and it's probably applicable more so to Lampard at the moment than anyone else but is there a kind of an impression of damaged goods on Lampard now considering he was sacked from Chelsea I mean we, I suppose, he wasn't obviously a, a rookie manager, but Brendan Rodgers really recovered his career after getting sacked at Liverpool, going up to Celtic and then back to Leicester, where he's done a, a fantastic job. But Lampard is still available. I mean, there doesn't seem to be a huge clamour um, f- for him to, to, to get another job. Um, I mean, he's been kind of linked with jobs like the England Under 21 jo- role, um, which I'm sure would kind of fit his profile more than, say, another top job in, in club management. But is there a risk of, say, for example, Perlo, if he does get sacked at Juventus, Gerard, if he gets a big move and doesn't go quite well, is there a, ch- you know, the kind of chance these guys are taking that, you know, if, if I get it wrong here, there's a chance I'm not going to get a job again for a long time or I might have to kind of settle for uh, for for something a little bit below what I was kind of hoping to be at, at, at this point in my career? Well, I think... Um... That especially in this era with social media and the failings of a football coach are seen for everyone. There is a um, and sort of a belief that once a manager's been sacked from one of these clubs, they are damaged goods. I completely agree with that. You look at David Moyes after the Manchester United debacle. Mm. Fans, even fans of Sunderland after that, were unhappy that they'd hired him. But he still keeps getting jobs because that level of... <sighs> that perception of being damaged doesn't permeate boardrooms 
it's mainly just for fans. So Frank Lampard will get another job. I mean, he, he nearly got Derby promoted, and then you look a year on, obviously without the same loan players, or a couple of years on, and they're nearly getting relegated from the championship. So he will get another job. These these coaches will get another job. But I think that you're right to say that there is a perception of damaged goods, but I think it all doesn't extend any further than fans uh, of those clubs. So also, I think, a, a kind of a cultural thing there as well. I mean, you look at, um, at Italy and, and countries like it, and there's kind of a rotating lineup of managers of a certain generation at the minute, and they kind of bounce around um, around a, like a, a set number of clubs and not that there's no degree of kind of uh, failure that could that could hurt them but there is it takes a lot more than uh, than might be in other countries for them to fall out of the pecking order I mean Mourinho maybe isn't the best example because of how high profile he, he is but like things really didn't end well at, at Spurs and he was right back into a job uh, with Roma pretty quickly and you, you look at people like Spalletti and people like that who have been able to bounce around to most of the big clubs and it's like you might lock, like Pirlo or somebody like that might be locking themselves out of Juventus and maybe the national team but you'd imagine that there's kind of a degree of bounce back ability there's a long history in football of if, if not failing upwards failing sideways and failing only slightly down and you only need to look at the career of people like Alan Pardew to, to know that that's true as well Um that there's kind of a, a place friendly for these people in you know 16 to 22 to 1 odds and next manager for any given club that comes up and the the roundabout is is a cliche for a reason i suppose and that it, it definitely does exist and it's uh, maybe it's slightly weird to see these high profile names stepping onto it but uh, i guess that's where they are now yeah it kind of goes back to the point we were making earlier if a young manager has the perception of being modern and innovative and is up to date with sports science and all the requirements that come with that. These old managers who keep bouncing around almost have that steady hand experience, have gotten teams out of trouble a lot in the past. Even for some of them, if it's not true, I mean, somebody like Rudy Garcia keeps getting jobs and, you know, falling out with clubs and he already has a new job lined up next year after leaving Leon this summer. Um, and you see Sam Allardyce, obviously Spalletti was mentioned earlier as well. Um, and and it, it's just kind of weird how, that, that two ends of management uh, and there's no but very few people kind of in the middle um who's kind of seen as young innovative and yet experienced enough to be a steady hand to get a job like that and i think that's part of the reason why we are in this situation where owners do shrug their shoulders and say right let's just go for somebody younger who the fans are aware of who'll get us some good pr in the short term and who may be a a, a cheap option to, to be successful um Maybe somebody like Pochettino, for example, maybe that's why he was, so many people were clamoring for him to get, uh, including me, by the way, after Spurs let him go to get a top job. But as we've seen as PSG, that's not always perfect as well. Somebody who is experienced, but seen as quite modern and innovative, but yet he, he doesn't have really the trophies to back that up as well. So, you know, it kind of underlines the conversation that we're having here, which is finding the perfect manager is is a real massive challenge. And, and it is probably why somebody like Mourinho in particular is able to just stroll in with, you know, a couple of Champions Leagues in his back pocket from, you know, quite a long time ago and, and still be an exciting announcement for fans somehow. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how this level of, you know, young manager slash old manager uh conundrum that we have in the game at the moment develops in the next five to ten years I suppose if you look at the kind of category of 
Elise coach. Um, I mean, you obviously have the guys like Pep and Klopp who have been at their clubs for so long and have achieved so much. And, you know, a type of manager that wants to have a plan in place and it might take, you know, um, five or six years for it kind of to be drawn out. And, um, I mean, other guys like Pochettino, I mean, when he became available, there has to be a kind of a sense of, you know, for clubs that they kind of have to strike while the iron is hot. Um, United didn't, and obviously PSG did, and it hasn't gone too well so far. But even at the other, um, in the other direction, Thomas Tuchel becoming available um, and going to Chelsea and seeing how well that's gone so far. Um, I mean, uh, you kind of struggle to think of other kind of coaches that you could see in that sort of elite category that if they do become available, um, you really have to get them in. Um, I mean, Julian Nagelsmann is the obvious example and he's gone to Bayern and they likely have, you know, all things going well for them. They likely have their their manager for the next five, six plus years, if not if not more. Um, you know, you, like guys like Eric Ten Hag at, at Ajax has done a fantastic job. He hasn't been available. Uh, I think Spurs would love for him to have his name thrown into the hat. But there, there is a sense of, you know, if these seven or eight guys do become available that, you know, if you're not in a position to take them now, you are kind of struggling and you are kind of picking up these guys like Perlo um, or like uh, Lampard to kind of hope that they can have the similar success success as, as the, the elite category of coaches. But I think in terms of mentioning the the comparison between Tuchel and Pochettino there. I don't think we can sort of write Pochettino off. That job at PSG is an absolute poison chalice. You cannot coach with nine players uh, on the pitch. They they do not work as a team in the way that these sort of coaches they hire do. It's why I was so amazed Ancelotti wasn't able to win the Champions League with them because he's perfect for the sort of club that PSG are they don't he doesn't need every player to be working at 100% to press and to get back into a position and to just move around the whole pitch that's why I'm, I'm amazed that people seem to be sort of turning on Pochettino this guy's an incredible coach as is Thomas Tuchel and we're seeing a Chelsea side that look very similar, maybe lacking the attacking flair of Tuchel's Dortmund side. And we never really saw that other than in individual moments from his PSG side, because he couldn't coach, get them to play in the way that his style and coaching and the work he does on the training ground, that that eventually uh, comes up with. And we're seeing the same with Pochettino. When did you ever see a Tottenham side under Pochettino with every player not absolutely just giving everything and covering every sort of zone of the pitch that they were uh, entrusted with covering. And we're seeing it already at PSG, the losing and drawing games that his Tottenham side would never have done. And I just think it's very, very risky. And someone in a club, one club will get very, very fortunate if PSG sack Pochettino this summer. A club will hire Pochettino as Chelsea took the risk on Tuchel and they'll be laughing at everyone else. If that was to happen, Chris, and uh, would I obviously Ali has done a fantastic job. Would you would you like United to be in that conversation? If and I would be really surprised if PSG sacked him. But if Pochettino became available for the second time in the space of a year, do you think United would be uh, would be clamouring from his name this time around? I'm not sure they would this time around. Well, it's difficult. Obviously, if I'm given the choice of whatever club I have and I want to hire a coach and you ask me today, I'm going to hire 
Mauricio Pochettino. I'm sorry, that's yeah. just me. I'm going to hire him. The guy did an unbelievable job at Spurs. People forget what a mess Spurs were for a long time before he got there. And yeah, Harry Redknapp got a few good years out of them, fighting above the weight and, and plucky Tottenham. But for the most part of this millennium, Tottenham had been bloody awful. And Pochettino got them to a Champions League final, and people forget that and sort of slag him off because he didn't win a League Cup along the way. Well, I think I would always hire Pochettino, but in terms of Manchester United at this point, I think no. I think they've actually got the one area of the club that's got stability at this point is on the pitch somehow, and I'm not quite sure how they've sort of managed to fall into that with just sheer incompetence all over the place. But they've got stability and competence on the one area of a football club that the fans want to see competence in. I think they've just got to stick with Solskjaer now. He's two straight years finished in the top four. Yeah, there's been some awful results and bad days. You look at that uh, defeat in Turkey to Istanbul, Bashakshah here, that ruined the season. That that cost United a chance at showing what they were really capable of in the Champions League. But I, I don't think you can move on from Solskjaer now. I think you've finally got to a point in a project where you couldn't get to with Van Gaal, Moyes, Mourinho, where everyone knows what direction they're going in. They know what players they're getting. They're not having to get a completely different squad. We're not going into a transfer window now where we're saying United needs six or seven players, which is what people said for a lot of years. So I think they'd be mad to jump off this train now, even though I will say Pochettino is the one coach I would hire if I had the choice in world football. But I just think they're in a position where don't rock the boat, let the Glazer family and Ed Woodward and his replacement just continue to screw themselves as with their own incompetence. Don't Don't rock that particular boat. Yeah, I think the opportunity has, has come and gone for Pochettino at United, certainly um, in the short term. Um, and I would agree with Chris overall. He'd be the one for me who, if I did have to hire somebody tomorrow, absolutely would be the one for me. Just I think, you know, he has that um, gap between kind of young, modern, very sports science driven, very fitness driven, um, but does have a lot of experience in the game. And it's not just with Tottenham as well. I mean, what he did with um, Espanyol was massive as well. So, I mean, now another person who I, I find interesting in terms of being damaged goods and who's kind of disappeared in, into plain sight really is, is uh, Jardim, you know, after having such success at Monaco. And then you talk about going back and having to dig them out of trouble again after the uh, on reappointment and then get sacked again and was apparently going to rock up in China about 18 months ago and that didn't happen and hadn't really been seen or heard of since. So, you know, it's not just the young guys who sometimes get a bad rap and who are seen as damaged goods, uh, no matter how successful you are. Um, so he, he is somebody who crossed my mind a lot because he would have been one a few years ago as well as Pochettino that I thought might have the profile that United require, certainly because of the work he did with the type of squad Monaco had at the time. Obviously, having Mbappe helped, but it, you know they finished second the year after selling him as well, which was an equally good achievement as finishing first the year before. Um, but yeah, for sure, if, if I could hire one manager tomorrow, if Solskjaer had to be replaced, it would be Pochettino. But I, <laughs> I think, luckily for United, uh, and I do call it luck, not because Ali is incompetent, but because Woodward is, um, that it has worked out for him in terms of the results, knowing that they're not going to lose even if they fall behind, which was a huge problem under Van Hal and Mourinho. Um, and the fact that everybody seems to know what they're trying to do on the pitch, they don't always get it right. And we saw that yesterday, but um, you certainly have a 
good idea of how United are going to approach a game more often than not, especially away from home. Uh, and that's a pretty good position to be in after years of just not having any idea what they'll be doing week in, week out. And I'm just looking at the the odds here for the next Spurs manager. Um, and Jardim isn't even on the list. There's like 50 or 60 managers. I don't think he, I'm scrolling here and there's no sign of him. Um, but like they moved on from Pochettino. And I think obviously at the time it was kind of a, a shocking move. I think it'll continue to do so, especially after um, how much of a disaster the Marino era was. But you look at the, the guys that are at the top, Simeone, Simeone and Zaghi, um, who's at Lazio at the moment, um, is odds on favourite. Uh, Scott Parker getting relegated at Fulham. Graham Potter doing a reasonably good job at Brighton. Brendan Rodgers, like we said, at Leicester. Would, would, be taking, would he be taking a step up to Spurs? I'm not too sure. Um, Nuno Espirito Santo is on the list as well. Roberto Martinez. like None of these guys are anywhere near the calibre of Pochettino, yet Spurs sacked Pochettino took the risk on Marino and now it looks like PSG are probably wearing a little bit tin on, on Pochettino as well. Maybe they could hire Pochettino back, undo all the idiocy they did by sacking him in the first place. <laughs> I think well, they've Pochettino already decided. Uh, Tottenham, though. Sorry to cut across you. I think Tottenham have already decided. I think it's going to be one of Scott Parker or Graham Potter. They've pretty much made clear what sort of coach they want. They want someone who can come in work with the young players that are already at the club because they're not going to be in a position to spend loads of money this summer. So ideally, and, and what you're looking at most likely is a domestic candidate, and they want someone who's going to be cheap and might overperform. A bit like what they thought they were getting when they got... Well, well, after they got patched to, you know, they realised this was a guy who could get the most out of players that he had. They're obviously looking for that again. So I think it's going to be one of Potter or Parker. I think that's pretty much already been decided at Spurs. Do you think Arteta, do you think Arsenal will be on the hunt for, for a manager? Or like Some fans are probably still leaning on his side. Um, the evidence doesn't really point towards a huge amount of success. But, I mean, if you did want to take the United example with, with Oli and sticking by him, and he has kind of turned it around slowly but surely. But, I mean, Arsenal have invested a lot of money and if things aren't looking as good as they should be under Arteta, do you think they'll they'll be getting itchy fingers to, to pull the trigger as well on his sacking? Well, I don't think things for Oli United ever got to the stage where they're as bad as they are now for Arteta yeah. and Arsenal. But again, what where do Arsenal go? No European football in all likelihood. No money in all likelihood. And you're, you're right, they, admittedly they've stretched out these investments. I mean, I think Leo Ledoux a quid a year for the next 100,000 years for Pepe. <laughs> but they have they have backed Arteta with money. But where do they go? Who do they hire? Obviously, one game a week next year, no European football. I think it's every Arsenal fan's dream that they hire Antonio Conte for one year because they will win the Premier League just by the fact he will only have to coach <laughs> one game a week and plan a, a squad for one game a week. But we know that's not going to happen. He's not going to leave in so unless their financial problems are far more immediate than any of us realise. So you're looking at Arsenal and it's a situation where where do they go if they sack Arteta? They've tried a couple of other things. Where do they go? Maybe they go for someone like Scott Parker or Graham Potter themselves to try and bring the best out of players they've got and are already at the club. But I think that situation at Arsenal is a real mess because we're seeing years of decline at boardroom level 
and, and a lack of interest and just general apathy while the money kept coming in has caught up with them. And that is a very, very diff- deep and difficult hole to get yourself out of. So maybe they will be best served with Arteta and just saying to him, look, okay, this isn't going well, but let, let's keep going. Let's keep trying to find a way and, and work it out. But then you look at Arteta and some of the results, there's been no evidence that he's going to turn it around, especially not with much better footballers. And I think one of the problems that Arteta has had is he's not Pep Guardiola. And people seem to sort of get a bit angry when you make a suggestion that Pep Guardiola is a defensive coach because of how good his teams have been. But Guardiola's main interest is stopping an opposing team having the ball and playing football. So he keeps possession because you can't concede if you've got the ball. And obviously we all know about the well-documented professional foul thing high up the pitch. It's two key aspects of what makes Guardiola's style of play, but it's the main two objectives of stopping the other team playing. So I think what we've seen with Arteta is he also believes in those principles. He's come to a team with worse players who look a defensive team and look a disorganised team because that's sort of what a Guardiola team is, but without good quality players. So... It's difficult to see whether he can turn it around, but I don't know if Arsenal are gonna. I don't know if Arsenal can turn it around this quickly, and they might just have to wait for things to sort of run the course. I know that's not much of an answer, but Chris, any chance of Cholo Simeone being available for an English team anytime soon? Um, I don't know if there's any English teams whose fans want to go back into stadiums for many, many nil nils. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just he's he, I've never known a coach that's so likable and so successful but you would just be mad to hire him because it's just but it's it might work out I mean that result on Saturday at the Camp Nou it was an awful game of football but Atletico seemed pretty pleased it was almost as if they were so confident that Real Madrid would drop points in the next in, in their next four games that they just thought, yeah, a draw is a good enough result here. Let's not get beat. And it might it's looking like it might end up that way. But I just don't know how he can come to England with this style of football and just not get slaughtered straight away because this is not someone who's popular in England. Grudges are held as ridiculously as ridiculously as long back as France '98. He will not come to the Premier League and get the benefit of the doubt the media-friendly Jose Mourinho does. He will be targeted from week one for his defensive football, and I just think it's it's a marriage nobody wants and nobody needs. It would be blockbuster, in fairness. Um, just quickly winding it back to um, the kind of rookie manager situation, and I mean. I was watching Derby against Sheffield Wednesday on Saturday and the, uh, the kind of battle for relegation there, which which turned out to be a lot more entertaining than how it would be. But it was interesting to hear the, the folks on Sky Sports and the kind of narrative that they were trying to surround Rooney with. I mean, kind of praising him beforehand, you know, that he was just the right character to, to kind of jig them up in the dressing room beforehand. And he got a little bit of the, the, the praise as well afterwards, but he had eight or nine games to... Uh, to save Derby, um, I mean, it wasn't just a one-off game. I mean, he had he had a, the last couple of weeks to to get the the points that they needed to 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 get them over the line in terms of um, in terms of safety. So there is a kind of an unusual um, support given to to characters like Rooney and like Lampard early on before things went a little bit south 
Um, and you'd imagine Gerard and, and whoever else, if they did come into um, that kind of rookie manager, club legend sort of character category with the with the media around Sky Sports. Well, he's... I'm just trying to wrap my brains here. I might be missing an obvious one, but as an English uh, coach, I don't think an English coach has ever won the Champions League since the change of format, have they? I don't don't think, unless I'm missing a really obvious one. No one comes to mind anyway. No. So I think there's, there's a bit of a desperation to find the great English coach because there's not been a, a Champions League winning English coach. I think there's a desperation to find that guy who can be the, the very top of his level and English. And obviously these play these guys who were mentioned, Gerard, Rooney, Lampard, they're all high profile, so it benefits mm. Sky Sports to big them up because they're high profile. They're gonna get people watching Derby games who have no interest in championship football and that's and an unintended reality of the situation. I think what people have to remember about this whole Derby situation is they only stayed up because Sheffield United had a, a Sheffield Wednesday had a points deduction. They Rooney's not been in charge for that long. He's not. He's going to get some more of his own players in the summer. So maybe you'd certainly say deserves a full season at least in charge there. But I don't think he's worked any wonders. Admittedly, they were bottom of the table when he arrived, but I don't think he's worked any miraculous wonders to keep them in the division. But I don't think, on the other hand, he's done that badly to warrant being dismissed, especially when you wonder what candidates are are out there for Derby. I mean, they're not going to hire Steve McLaren again, are they? So I I think he's pretty safe in that job. You mentioned the, I suppose, the clamour to to find the next... Big England manager, and you look at their current manager in Gareth Southgate, um, and I suppose you know ourselves here in Ireland are kind of in a similar boat where we have an international manager who has a, a lot of experience. I mean, decades of experience at a kind of a lower club uh, level in in the League of Ireland and um, in Scotland for a couple of years, who um, who got the, the the Republic of Ireland job, and I suppose it hasn't gone hugely well so far, but. I mean, if things don't go so well for Southgate this summer at the Euros and he became available, like I can't imagine there's going to be any clamour from any from, from major clubs to, to get him in. I mean, I'm just trying to think. I remember Gareth Southgate being linked with the Manchester United job when Solskjaer was going through a bit of a, 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 a difficult patch. But there the will be clubs who, who give him a job. That's the, the thing. I agree with what you're saying. There won't be a clamour for him, but he will get another job. I mean, look at Aston Villa. If they go on another summer of sensible but expensive recruitment and Dean Smith has them in mid-table or lower halfway through next season, maybe they make a change there and Gareth Southgate's available. Maybe they bring him in. So these sort of managers do get jobs again, but you're right in saying if he if the summer doesn't go well, it's hard to pick a fit for him. Even though with what Tottenham are looking for, you could argue he sort of represents that with how he got the most out of England's players in uh, Russia. And quickly, just to finish off, uh, lads, I suppose since we have you on, Chris, a, a couple of words on Man United, and I'm just kind of thinking about Solskjaer, and there is a kind of. Um, an impression of him that he's lumped in with the likes of Lampard and he's sort of rookie managers um, 
despite him having years of experience and he obviously had that spell at Cardiff. I mean, is it, is it frustrating as United fans to kind of, for Ollie to have that kind of thing hanging over him where, I mean, there, there is more to him than, than, uh, than some of the guys that we mentioned? I'm not sure. Uh, a lot of United fans are particularly bothered about the talk. I think, especially although we've not been, the, the world's been sort of shut down for over a year now, I think match going fans are generally happy to just have a coach at this point who wants the team to win rather than he wants himself to win. And the football's much more expansive than it has been. And also, you've got to remember, a lot of the focus is on things away from the pitch as well for fans at the moment. They're, they're really energised in a campaign against the owners, a rightful campaign I think most would uh, agree with. But I, I don't think they're particularly bothered that people don't rate Solskjaer, that he does not got a reputation of Jurgen Klopp. He's done the best job of anyone since Sir Alex Ferguson left, whether he's won anything or will win anything. That's not really the point. At this point, he's done the best job of the four, th- yeah, the four coaches United have had to appoint since Sir Alex Ferguson left. You can't ask for more than that. Obviously, progression has been consistent, and you'd expect expect more next season. But I don't think th- there's, especially away from social media, I don't think there's many fans who are particularly unhappy with with where the team is on the pitch at this point. Um, I suppose the only thing, it's not necessarily the negativity that was written about Solskjaer. I mean, any any United manager will get that, but, you know, it kind of circles back to the point we were making about Rodgers earlier, which is kind of that positive PR that the British press in particular is desperate to churn out for whatever reason for these other type of managers. So just that lack of inconsistency, I suppose, is, is mildly frustrating at times, but um, not to the point where you should lose any sleep over it, obviously, because you're never going to get consistency from the British press on anything. But overall, I think, you know, from going to the stadium uh, and seeing how the fans have reacted to Solskjaer, I, I think it, it's overall been very, very positive. Um, you know, you still have the odd small section of people who say he's just, you know, a glazer mouthpiece, happy to save the money, etc. But, you know, the large majority of fans from what I can see, are extremely happy with the progress. And there has been progress been made in the past couple of years. And I think that's all we were looking for at the time, um, considering how bad things had gotten um, under Mourinho in particular and how tough it was uh, under Van Hal as well. Um, and there's a lot more positivity around United matches now in general. And I think Solskjaer is responsible for that. Uh, and, and just to finish off Chris's earlier point, I mean, performance on the pitch is the most competent thing at the club and by a distance um, everything else is is up for debate as to um, whether it's the standard it should be at United and the answer is no I'm um, not sure it's but, even a debate it's not even close <laughs> I was trying to be polite uh, Chris is a bit more direct on those type of issues than I am I know there's a lot more behind the scenes than me but you know we've talked about the facilities, Old Trafford, the training ground, even the corporate Wi-Fi. I, I had a work event there, Chris, a few years ago, and it was just a disaster from start to finish. It's awful. Um, you know, so it was just, you know, everything connected to the club outside of, of the performances from the first team on the pitch this season is a shambles. Um, and you're right, Chris, it isn't a debate. So, um, you know, Solskjaer has been responsible for at least keeping things on the pitch heading in some sort of uh, progressive direction um, and deserves a lot of credit for that. And, uh, you know, we are starting to see a bit more uh, positivity from, from the press on him now, but whether that changes or not, I don't think he'll be too bothered anyway. 
Great stuff, lads. I think we'll leave it there, Chris. Thanks for coming on this evening. Oh, no worries, guys. It's been uh, a lot of fun. So we leave it there, so okey doke. Good night and God bless. <laughs>